You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. You're listening to special programming brought to you by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. morning, Las Vegas. It's Zandra Bollard. It's where I am here on 91.5 Jazz and More. Thank you for tuning in. You know, I'm here every Saturday at 7.30 a.m. And so we're getting our day started right with some great information. I have a wonderful guest. But before I introduce her, one of our wonderful sponsors for the show, R.D. Evans Enterprises. They are a supporter of It's Where I Am, and we just want to thank you for your continued support. Uh, Also, uh, their information is don at rdevansent.com. The ENT stands for Enterprises. So again, that is don at rdevansent.com. Don is a general contractor in the Arizona area, but he also uh, does work out here in Las Vegas. So if you have any building needs, residential or commercial, Don Evans at R.D. Evans Enterprises. Now their phone number is 602-815-9991. Thanks, Don. Now, on the show in studio, (laughs) we have Dr. Crab. Thank you so much for coming in. Dr. Crab works here on the UNLV campus. She is the senior psychologist for the School of Medicine. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Hey, so our uh, studio engineer told me about you, Wes. That's my guy. He does all my audio stuff and yours because Dr. Crab also has a show here on 91.5. So let's start out with what you talk about on your show. Oh, we talk about a host of things. So KUNV, um, Let's Talk UNLV, is basically a show that helps students get connected to resources and get connected to each other. So we have a number of guests from campus, student and faculty and staff, to discuss all the wonderful things that are available for students at UNLV. And so when is when does your show air? I believe it's like 6.30 in the morning. Okay. Forgive me. I... I I don't know. That's a bit early for Oh, me. my gosh. Okay, so Wes, <laughs> can you chime in and let us know when her show is on air? Let's talk UNLV. Oh, you have to come all the way in to tell us? <laughs> I thought you could, come like, through. work the microphone. Come through. From- you, didn't, you won't want the headphones 
headphones, you can't hear me. <laughs> That's ah. true. <laughs> yeah. Sunday, 6.30. Oh, I was right. Oh, whoop, okay. whoop. Sundays at 6.30. Well, thank you, Wes, for coming in and letting us know. We're also on Spotify and a lot of streaming resources, so don't feel like you have to get up at the crack of dawn to hear from us. You can definitely just tune in via podcast as well. Awesome. And me as well. So anyhow, um, you are here because you love to talk about psychology. I do. Mental health all day. Yes. Every day. So what do you tend to see with um, your students? How many students are in your class? How many people are you talking to per semester? I oh, mean, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> that one's a hard one to answer. So um, prior to my job at the School of Medicine, I worked at UNLV CAPS, which was on this lane. The My current job is over at the Shadow Lane campus, and I'll be starting that in early July. Okay. So in terms of how many students we see at CAPS, um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's like a classroom like? Is there like 150 students in a class? Is there 30 students in the class? Oh, is so it intimate? Is it large? For us, the way that we, we organize CAPS is we do individual appointments. We do counseling. We do groups. We do workshops. Okay. So in terms of ca- classroom and classroom visits, um, part of what we do is outreach is we go to classrooms and we teach information about mental health. We teach things about suicidal awareness. So classroom sizes can vary. So I've been in a classroom of 60. I've been in a classroom of 100. I think the largest presentation that I personally have done around mental health was 750 people and that oh, was wow. for a conference okay when i did a keynote for the um the national association of college advisors okay i believe that there's another event that's coming up that's going to be about 2000 people so <laughs> wow in terms of our audience reach um Campus-wise, students come to see us, but but as part of our outreach efforts, we also go out into the campus to meet with students, to discuss things, to create and present different workshops on a number of different topics. We've done imposter syndrome. Well, okay, so back it up, because I've heard this before, and I'm not quite clear on what imposter syndrome is. Can you explain that? So it's an interesting thing, imposter syndrome, and it's been around for a really long time. Okay. Um, I did a presentation, I think it's been around for like 60s or 70s. Um, okay. Don't quote me on that. But it's been around for a really long time. And this idea that you don't feel like you belong or that you deserve what you've been given. This idea that um, okay. you're here because of luck, um, because not because of talent. You know, okay. that you haven't really earned your place here. And imposter syndrome actually is something that everyone deals with, like a lot of people deal with. it. Viola Davis talked about it just the other day. Hmm. She said, let's just face it. It's something that you deal with all this time, the sense of being a fraud, even mm. if you've received accolades, even if you've received credit. And imposter syndrome is more present in certain populations. Um, say, for example, a first-gen population who hasn't had anyone as a role model to help them to navigate this system. Okay. So they don't feel like they belong because this isn't part of the community that they're, they're familiar with. People of color. There's this question as to whether or not imposter syndrome is a feeling or a fact when you're a person of color. Is it that you don't belong or is it that people treat you like you don't belong and right. therefore you start to believe that you don't belong? Okay. So it's this idea of feeling like a fraud mm-hmm. and imposter syndrome leads to things like perfectionism. You know, I can't make a mistake and, you know, um, perfectionism as is the, perfectionism is basically fear. Right. You know, it's basically fear. Um, the author of Eat, Pray, Love did a whole um, video on that. I cannot think of her name. Um, but she talked about that perfectionism is just fear in, in high heels and a fedora. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. It's a wonderfully interesting way to say I'm afraid, but not 
sound like I'm afraid because that's really what it is. You're, you're afraid you're going to fall short, so you have to make Overdo sure everything yeah. is, is just as it should be. And then I would think anxiety would come in because you're overthinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anxiety, I think, is a really big one with mm-hmm. college students in particular. Um, I've seen a lot of trauma come through these doors, and it's interesting sure. because it's not necessarily evident. You know, oh, and right. so you see it a lot, not just in general because of childhood stuff, but the last few years have been particularly traumatic for sure. the country. Sure. I've seen a lot of grief come through the doors. Right. You know, that's another big one that comes through the doors a lot. Um, well, let's touch on grief for a little bit because, you know, grief will sneak up on you. You know, I had a few um, deaths in the family recently and a cousin and I were talking about it. And we were saying how, you know, just all of a sudden we'd have like a little mini breakdown because we didn't deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with things so that, you know, you don't have that straw that breaks the camel's back? Oh, that's a wonderful question. So as we talk about grief, I don't know that we ever fully acknowledged that we are as a nation grieving. Mm Mm-hmm. The last few years have been rough. We have lost loved ones. We've not been able to connect with the people that we matter. We we have lost connection with one another. And and it hasn't stopped. Right. You know, and life has just sort of gone on like it's been normal. So I think part of dealing with grief is acknowledging that it exists. Okay. And not feeling like you have to just push through and keep going. Push through, sweep it under the rug, Absolutely. all that stuff. Yeah. You know, give yourself permission to acknowledge that you're hurting. Right. And recognize that this is real. Also, acknowledging that grief looks different for different people. Okay. You know, for some people, grief is front loaded. <laughs> like, like it comes and it hits you like a tsunami and you're just like, sort of left in its wake. Mm-hmm. For some people, like you said, grief sneaks up on you. Yes. You don't notice the loss until these small things show up for you in your life. Right. So grief, you know, I, I, I call grief like a wave. Like you're standing in front of the ocean and you think that it's just going to lap your toes and it knocks you down. Right. Okay. Okay. And you think it's going to knock you down and it laps your toes. Yes. You know, um, and the idea is not to stand firm and guard yourself against grief. Mm-hmm. The idea is to know what you need in the moment when grief shows up for you. Do you need support? Do you need time? And knowing the difference between um, healthy grief and unhealthy grief. Okay. So if, if grief were a wound, imagine for a second someone stabbed you in your leg or in your arm. Mm-hmm. If grief were a wound, you know, in the immediacy after the grief, it's going to hurt. <laughs> like, like, right. You can't get stabbed and not be like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm, you know, it's going to hurt. But over time, it should heal. Sure. It should heal to the point where you know that it's there and maybe there's even a scar that you can feel, but you can walk again. It's not debilitating. Unhealthy grief is when that's, that becomes infected. Right. And okay. the healing is just not happening. You're mm-hmm. crying every single day. You cannot move forward in your life because of the weight of this grief is keeping you from moving forward in your life. Oh, that that's some great analogy. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. So... Like for me, sometimes it's turning off the phone. Yeah, that's a big one. Turning off the phone and just being silent and with myself. Yeah, I think that's a good starter for me with anything, whether that be anxiety, whether that be depression, whether that be grief. You know, first, let's start with everybody. Leave me alone (laughs) and let me think, you know, and do some some healing. You have entered into my favorite topic in the whole okay. universe. Okay. The B word. 
boundaries. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm learning. Please tell us more. Boundaries are amazing. Boundaries save relationships. Boundaries save lives. People are like, oh, well, boundaries are hard. No, boundaries are love lessons. I'm teaching you how to love me. Right. By setting good boundaries with you. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can turn off my phone to grant myself peace and you can respect that boundary, then when you call, I won't be annoyed or resentful. Yes. So boundaries are important. Knowing which ones you need, knowing which ones you should be enforcing, and knowing that boundaries are flexible. You know, boundaries are like a house. So imagine for a moment the people in your life want to get into this house, which is boundaries, right? Okay. There are people who you might want to have security escort them in. (laughs) Yeah, "Yeah, I don't trust you with my boundaries, so you're going. You need to call ahead, get the gate guard, and let you through. And then there are people who might have the key to your house. Yes, okay. Because you can trust that when they come there, they're not going to destroy your stuff. Right. And then occasionally there's that person who had the key, but then when you come home, they've wrecked your house, feet up on the couch, drank all your juice, and you got to take the key back. Right. Boundaries are flexible in that way. Okay. Boundaries help you feel safe. Mm -hmm. And boundaries help people know how to love you properly. Okay. So I love me some boundaries. And boundaries look like not checking email on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Boundaries look like turning off the phone, putting on the do not disturb. Boundaries look like, listen, I can't talk right now or not taking a call right. in that moment. Or asking me for a ride or asking me to uh, pick up your dinner or asking oh, me yes. to do your laundry, things like that. So here's Kids. what's so interesting about boundaries is it's not enough mm. to... Um, set the boundary you have to hold the boundary yes and that's the hard part you have to hold the boundary because i've like buckled you know it's like i'll put up this boundary like no i'm not going to do that and then they'll ask me like two three more times just to annoy me so i'll say okay so if you think about it like training a pet right Uh uh-huh the minute you let the dog on the couch you're gonna be fine the dog to get off the couch the rest of the time right like the dog doesn't the dog is like well the last time, <laughs> right under the right circumstances, she let me on the couch. So the problem with boundaries is, is once we set them, holding them, because you set a boundary and they're going to charge the gate. Yes. It's yes. just going to happen. You set a boundary because they're not used to it. It's like the first time you change the lock and that person just <laughs> come into your house right. and drinking your juice. They're like, oh, you're just not going to let me in? <laughs> so I'm going to bam on the door. Exactly. I know yeah. you in there. Right. I know you in there. Right. So so they're going to charge the gate. So the, the key to setting a boundary is to start where what is manageable for you. Okay. And so that you can hold it better and giving yourself permission to adjust it as necessary. Okay. But know that the minute you set a boundary, the people who need the boundaries are going to come charging the gate. So there's something else that I thought of I'd like for you to uh, tap into which is uh, healthy procrastination and just you're procrastinating. You know what I mean? Like, what is the difference? Or how can you uh, identify if you should not do, I mean, if you should procrastinate Uh because it's a healthier choice Uh or if you're procrastinating too much and you're not moving forward. So there's a difference between procrastination and rest. Okay. You know, and I think that's the the dividing line. So the question becomes, what's the barrier? So some people, the procrastination has to do with anxiety. Okay. You're frozen. You're stuck. You just don't know how to move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, the procrastination has to do with just being overwhelmed. I've pushed myself so far that my body's like, yeah, I'm not, I I can't with you right now. I cannot. 
I cannot. So understanding what is the barrier, what is keeping you from like drilling back? What is the thing that's making me not do this thing right now? Mm-hmm. Because there are feelings associated with it. There's something going on underneath the procrastination. Okay. And for some people, and, and I'm talking to my folks with diagnoses, it's just built into your diagnoses. Like if you have ADHD or something like that, procrastination is part of the challenge. Okay. Because you can be hyper-focused on the things that interest you, but it's harder to be interested in the things that don't interest yes. you. Yes. So it really depends on the root cause. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes procrastination just means you need to take a break, do something else, and come back to it. Okay. But or make you, sure you go back. Or you need to structure your time differently. Yes. You know, um, oftentimes we push ourselves to the limit and then we wonder why our bodies and brains won't go any further. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big difference uh, with talking to you um, as opposed to uh, a mental health professional that has their own practice. Because you're not pushing the practice, you're pushing the lessons. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I like that. I like that. And and that's kind of who I am as a human. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I see my role in this world, and I see my calling as helping you on your journey, not leading you on your journey because we're walking together and my job is just to be like oh as we're walking down this path did you see that poop over there yeah you might want to step around it oh i see you fell in the hole yes you, you need you need some assistance you want me to get you out help you get out of that hole mm-hmm. um because at the end of the day a client's mental wellness matters most to me even more so than like i don't have to be your person right you know? and like you said you mentioned before the show started like i can't be your person forever so you need these tools to learn how and resources right meaning tools resources to learn how to navigate things for yourself (laughs) my favorite quote is good mental health is a gym not a spa (laughs) okay okay we're here to help you get strong we're here to help you build your mental health muscle we're here to help you to be the best version of yourself and sometimes it'll be great feel great and other times it'll feel challenging but that's what mm-hmm. it takes to get strong. Yeah. You know, and, and the hope is that um, I can leave you with gifts that you can live your life with independent of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to build into you. I want your mental health to be a lifestyle and not an office visit. Okay. Is the gist of it. Which is why Dr. Crab will be back on the show uh, in the future, near future. Yes. Yes. So there were some other things that you want to share with us. Um You've written a book. I have. You've written a book and you got another one on the way. So tell us about your books. Okay. So I got to say, and this is going to sound weird as heck, but this book was like 20 years in the making. (laughs) So I entered the military into the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. Hoorah! (laughs) 17 years old. Okay. Simplify. And, um... I think at that stage, you know, I went through the process and, and I think I, I believe that the, the Marine Corps is instrumental in who I am. Mm-hmm. And when I left the military, I left after my first tour. I left after Desert Storm. I was like, you know what? <laughs> um, and I was in the class and I wrote this piece for the class. And the professor said, have you ever considered writing a book? Wow. And I was like, hmm, OK, maybe someday. Um, so in the process, I had been pulling together a story. And the purpose of the story was just to have a female Marine story told. Okay. There were very few stories about women back then. There were even less about women and Marines. And, and all of our stories seemed to come from a deficit model. 
You know, I, I wanted someone to get a clear understanding of what life was like in the military. So fast forward a gazillion years later, <laughs> with some prompting and encouragement from my bestie and mm-hmm. my husband, I decided to go ahead and publish. The book is called Living the Dream, Okay, uh, a military coming-of-age story um, by Tanya Crabb. And the book itself is about a girl, a woman, who enlists in the military because she's running away, as a lot of people in the military do because they're running away from something. So she basically runs away to the military and surprisingly, she finds love, she finds family, she finds community. Um, she's happy, you know. She, for the first time in her life, she's genuinely happy. And then her unit gets deployed to combat. Mm. And that's when everything changes. And that's when she learns about her own strength. She learns about the strength of the other women in her unit. And they have to bond together to sort of in- survive this encounter. Okay. Um, and along the way, there's significant traumatic things that happen to them, Um it's it's my favorite book. I it's it was of course I wrote it so it would be but, <laughs> but the reason that I love the book is because it's it's unconventional. And then the thing that I love most about the book is that when I did share it with other women Marines, they felt seen. Okay. They could relate absolutely yeah. to it. Okay. They were like, This this is my story. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to honor military women. I wanted to Yeah, well, because there's a that. lot of sexual trauma oh, yeah. in the military. Yeah. A lot of just trauma in general, the idea of being visible and invisible Mm -hmm. is something that military women deal with all the time. And even before deployment, there are a lot of issues, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you have another book on the way. Yeah. Tell us about that one. So my second book that's on the way is about, it's a follow-up to the first story. So you meet, in the first story, you meet several characters. And one of the characters is Tiffany Addison. And you learn in that story that Tiffany Addison joined the military because she was escaping her anger. Okay. Something had happened in her past, and she was angry. Well, did she want to fight it out in the military? or? Oh, she was angry at men. She was angry okay. at life. And it shows. Okay. <laughs> and it shows in the character that she is. She has given up the idea that there's any good in people, there's any good in man. She's just um, going through it. And the military is actually a perfect place for her because um, she has an opportunity to use to, to sort of put her anger to work. Okay. You know, in devoting herself to be a strong Marine and just basically dismissing the idea of loving anyone. In fact, the worst thing you could do to tell her is tell her you love her and that, that'll end any relationship going forward. Oh, okay. So she's wow. the anti female. <laughs> okay. That we have grown to see. And she's not interested in romance. She's not interested in anything but a quick hookup, love them or leave them. Let's hit it and quit it. Mm-hmm. That is her whole story. But you find out that behind all of that is the tragedy and the trauma that brought her into the military. Okay. You get to learn a little bit about her family situation. You get to learn a little bit about her. And you see how her encounter with these other women also helps her to grow okay. and to become a different person. We are a wonderful species, I must say. You know, because we come together and we can really just change and make things happen. I love you know, us. I yeah, love us. I love us. There too. is beauty and strength in womanhood, and I love our capacity to grow and to change and to become. I love us. Yes, absolutely. So now I know there was something else that you wanted to share with us. You brought a couple oh, of things. Yes. <laughs> so we have a book, and we have, I don't know if it's a card game or what is that? So, um, 
anyone who knows me will tell you that I am the resource queen. <laughs> like, I will give you websites, I will give you books, I will give you cards, I will give you anything that I think can help with your growth. So some things that I've discovered on my own journey, um, one of them is this idea that uh, rest is not a requ- reward, it's a requirement. You don't have to earn it. Okay. You're a divine being who deserves it. And it's not so you can fill your cup and keep on going. That's not the purpose of rest. Rest isn't so that you can give more of you away. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, explain to me. Because mm-hmm. I thought I'm supposed to rest so I can just do a whole bunch of stuff no, again. No, okay. we, we, are not, we are not the sum of our work. And the book that goes with this particular rest deck is called um, Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. Okay. And it talks about rest through the lens of culture. And it talks about lens through the rest, lens of black culture. And one of the things it said that really stuck with me, it says, I'm taking the rest my ancestors couldn't. Okay. And this idea that for a lot of us, our worth has been wrapped up in our work. You know, who sure. am I if I'm not making a dollar? I read something one time and it said that when I was younger, I was driven by letters. And when I became older, I was driven by numbers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that we are we are more than work. We are divine human beings who deserve to rest because we exist, not because we've put out good work for the day. So um, I read the book, and then I picked up the rest deck. I love this thing so much. So what I do is I've been taking it to my office, and I hand it to people, and I was like, pull a card. Okay, so and am I pulling it. a card? Pull any card you want. Okay, I am pulling a card. And see which one card. speaks to your soul. And then I want you to read the front and the back. Okay. I am magical and divine. I know that's right. So on the back it says, you are exhausted physically and spiritually because the pace created by the system is for machines and not a magical and divine human being. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then it goes on to say, your body has information to share with you, but you must slow down to receive it. That part. There is power in knowing you are enough right now and always. Wow, this is wonderful. Yeah. I would love to pull a card every day. I do. I pull one every morning and I pull one every evening to Where remind me. Where can you me. find that? I actually Amazon. bought this on Amazon. Okay. and she, Everything's on Amazon. She does. You well, know. the podcast is on Amazon, too. <laughs> it's Where I Am with Zandra is on Amazon Podcast. Okay. I, I love, I think sometimes our souls need reminding Sure. Of who we are, you know, I I, um, the joke that I I do in therapy is I I tell them in my Mufasa voice, remember who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's that's the deal in life is who who are you? Not who people told you you are, not who society said you're meant to be. But who are you? What what speaks to your soul? What brings you joy? And when was the last time you visited those parts of self? Okay. You know? So, and this one I ran across as well. It's called, I just love the title. I love the title, yeah. Edge Control for the Soul. I love this title. And it's it's a series of of poems that I really like. And they're poems that are called things like um, The Root, Curl Shine, (laughs) Good Hair, Hot Comb. Okay. And it's it's this author's version of her growth mm-hmm. through her understanding of her loves and her losses. Um, there's I really do love the one on the back. She said shrinkage. My curls shrink. I do not. Mm. 
I will not shrink into the box that you have conveniently crafted for me. I will not shrink my vision because you cannot see me. I will not become smaller than who I am, what I am to please or placate some man. I will not slink around with my head hung low. You may not be aware of my worth, but trust that I know. I will not bury my dreams. I will only plant seeds, and I will grow with them wild and free. I cannot hide my gifts to make anyone else more comfortable. Well, I could, but I can't, and I won't. I will forever refuse because I choose to. After all, my curls shrink. I do not. Wow. That is called Edge Control for the Soul. And I want to thank Dr. Crabb for coming on to the show. She will be back. Uh, I'm Zandra Pollard. It's where I am. You know, I'm here every Saturday at 7.30 a.m. You know you can find me also on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon podcast platforms, and also my website, itswhereiam.com. want to give another special shout-out to R.D. Evans Enterprises for your continued support. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.